is Bloomberg Surveillance. I think the notion of signing tax pledges or saying we're not raising taxes at all is completely out of touch with what we're spending and what people want to spend. The deficit has disappeared from view, which is why the debt is only being discussed by deficit scold groups. This downswing in oil prices is creating havoc for a lot of people, but it's a huge benefit. And consumers aren't really spending all this yet. Bloomberg Surveillance, your link to the world of economics, finance, and investment on Bloomberg Radio. Good morning. I'm Michael McKee. It's 7 a.m. on Wall Street. We are looking at another volatile trading day ahead. Oil and banks and fear itself on surveillance today. China and other markets in Asia closed for the New Year holiday. Japan was open. The Nikkei finishes down more than 5%, 5.4% of the day. Ten-year note yield in Japan goes negative, negative four basis points. The whole curve there now negative. That's the first time for a G7 country. And the yen continues to strengthen, made it as low as 114.21, trading at 115.05. Asia just set the stage for a down day in Europe. Oh, by the way, les le bon temps roulé. Yes, it's Mardi Gras today. No celebration in Europe. The stock 600 down by uh, Right now, three points, seven tenths of a percent. The DAX is off by 41. That's about a half percent. And the FTSE in London, 11 points lower, two tenths of a percent. And that's all carried over into the United States. S&P futures off by seven, four tenths. Dow E-mini futures down by four tenths. And NASDAQ E-mini futures off by 17, four tenths of a percent. In the bond market, uh, U.S. future, U.S., uh, Yield curve is not following Japan at the moment. The 10-year note yield is up by a basis point, 1.76%. The five-year, 1.17%. And the two-year note yield at 66 basis points. The dollar index is lower, 96.482. I told you about the yen. The euro is also strengthening, bursts through 112. 112.17. The pound, 144.32. And oil prices, everybody watching those, the International Energy Agency saying we're going to have a bigger surplus than we thought in the first quarter, but that is not pressing on prices. West Texas 3027 is up 2%. Brent crude 3327 up 1.2%. So, uh, Tom Keen, it has been uh, quite the volatile morning, yeah. a lot going on. We seem to have switched our fear from fear of what oil will do to fear of what's happening in the banking system. Let's say what Mike and I most agree on, and it's not cold play. We'll have more on that through the hour. Did you enjoy your day yesterday with Peyton? I did. I I enjoyed not having to, uh, uh, being able to stay up late and watch the Super Bowl and all the postgame festivities and not get up Did you convince him to play another year? Actually, I'm with his mom. She says he should retire, and I'm I'm with that. I mean, go on on top. What we're going to try to do here, folks, uh, away from a collegial discussion on the wonderful Super Bowl, terrific ratings, by the way, is is to get away from the hysteria. Our goal on surveillance this morning is to inform you about some of the complexities. Just as one example, contingent convertible derivative instruments are available to Deutsche Bank in Europe. They're not available in the United States. I mean, just as one nuance of all that's going on, and, of course, we'll do extra data checks with the tape a little bit deteriorating uh, right now. Of course, a 114 handle on yen uh, gets your attention. Bloomberg Surveillance brought to you by Invesco. Investing isn't about meeting benchmarks. It's about achieving goals. Find out how Invesco's high-conviction approach can help. Visit Invesco.com slash 
high conviction. Michael, our next guest out of LSE and out of Johns Hopkins on oil, he works with St. Edward Morris. That's pretty cool. I mean, yeah. the privilege of working <laughs> with Ed Morris is is way cool. I, I And now that Tom has sucked up to Ed for you, uh, Eric Lee can go back home to uh, Citibank and, uh, um, you know, have a good day because Ed is going to be walking around all puffed up. Yeah, Ed is the guy that said we were going to have problems with oil, and look where we are. Although it is interesting this morning, Eric is a commodity strategy research analyst at Citibank. It's interesting this morning the IEA comes out and says more oil, less demand, and prices don't go down. Uh, does that suggest this may be a bottom? Well, I mean, in our view, we are at a kind of bottoming range. We think that we're going to continue to have this volatility. Um, but, um, you know, demand has been bad for a while. Uh, supply is going to continue to be uh, quite an overhang in our view. I, th- I think part of the issue was when we saw the big downturn in prices in January, we also saw market positioning get extremely stretched and extremely short, and we've come off some of that to some extent. Well, um, what's happened to the idea that low prices are the cure for low prices? I, it, that's still an operative thing. I think the question is how low does the price have to go uh, when we've had structural change in the oil market. I think uh, I feel very lucky to be looking at the oil market so much right now because we're really seeing a, a complete game change, and shale has really upturned the old uh, rules of of, um, of how that worked. Um, and, and that's, you know, uh, one of the reasons why, why we're in the situation we are today. Um. Do, do your models work anymore? I mean, you talk about structural change. Uh, Did they when you work? try to, well, there's another question. <laughs> uh, I mean, can you effectively model what oil prices are going to be? Uh, we're, we're doing uh, what we can to do that. And, uh, of course, at the center of that is, is thinking about these supply-demand balances and IEA just putting out their own set uh, today, this morning. Um, I, I think the one of the challenges we try to get our heads around is how does shale respond to prices? And I think one of the tricky parts is that it's pretty new and we're still trying to, you know, catch this falling knife in uh, at a time when, when shale is still actually getting up to stride. So not only is it like where's shale on the cost curve, how much does it cost to produce it, it's still getting a lot better at what it does. Those costs are still falling. So you've got kind of got to... Uh, that's one okay. of the tricky things about I'll, I'll go with it's a dynamic mystery in the United States. Just to pick on Canada, it's no mystery. Their costs are more, right? What does lower for longer mean for high-cost oil nations? Uh, it means a lot of pain. It means a lot of adjustment. Has that adjustment begun to occur? Because I don't see it. Or, do we see it? Well, we see it in... You know, we, we, we see the financial pain, we see the capex cuts, uh, but we see the burden of adjustment being uh, taken on many fronts. So if you are the producer, you're finding also that the companies upstream of you, the services sector guys, are now – you now have you're – negoti- you're, you've got your back to the wall, but you're able to say, actually, mm-hmm. we need cost reductions. There's some burden that's taken by the services sector. We've seen bur- the, bur- some of the burdens taken by the currency – uh, for, for the commodity-intensive countries. So I, I think this adjustment is going to take a while to play out. We're, we're in a, a big downside, a long down cycle in our view. IHS uh, said in a report uh, yesterday or overnight that we're going to see more bankruptcies than they had originally forecast. Um, what's your outlook there? Uh, are more companies in trouble than we anticipated, and does that have 
a positive or negative effect? Their view is kind of that it, it, it offsets because what you'll end up doing is forcing more mergers more quickly. Uh, sorry, forcing? More mergers more quickly. Uh, yeah, I mean, in terms of are we seeing more than we expect, I, I think uh, at least in the shell patch, we've maybe seen less than we expected over last year, uh, and, and that now as we go forward, um, uh, there, there's something in the timeline that may uh, precipitate quite a few more, and that's this April uh, time when, when essentially banks uh, redetermine how much they're willing to, to lend to some of these producers based on the value of their reserves. Uh, and if they revise down their price outlook, then uh, these, the, these credit facilities get hit. So uh, in that sense, I, I think it's got ha- to take place. It should be part of a sign that the market is starting to turn around. Well, I, I, I was just uh, just. Are you all right? Over I had Coldplay in my head. Excuse <laughs> me. I'm still getting over halftime of the Super Bowl. When I look at demand destruction, I mean, we've got weaker aggregate demand, all of the other issues that we see within the global economy. Is demand destruction a valid study, or is it just about supply? Uh, it's definitely not just about supply, although tricky as it is, supply is probably easier to get our heads right, around right, than right, the right. demand part. Demand's very much part of it. You had – it was part of getting us into the downturn. So 2014, all demand growth was a really meager 0.8 million barrels a day. With the price impact, like dropping 50 60% in 2015, you saw that jump to 1.7 million barrels a day of growth. But again, this year we think we're back in about 1 million barrels per day of growth out of a you know, 94, 95 million barrel per day oil market. So um, – it is there, and you've got some of these negative feedback effects that aren't helping as well. So the Middle East, uh, actually a driver of all demand growth over the last decade, uh, likely to, to, to come in weaker um, than expected, given uh, the, the, the feedback effect of low oil prices on their economy. Okay, Edward Lee, uh, uh, Eric Lee, excuse me, Eric Lee, thank you so much. Edward Morris, Eric Lee, thank you so much. Eric Lee is with Citigroup working with T. Morris on commodities. We see a deterioration in the tape, negative 13 lows for the day. Dow futures, negative 111, takes the futures to 15,876. Yields are good with a steeper yield curve. I want to make clear that the bond market doing better off of what we saw 6, 7, and 8 p.m. last night. West Texas, $30.11, up 42 cents. We'll see where that goes. And the yen, a stunning 114.97. We now not have a blip to 114, but really a sustained valuation uh, with a 114 handle. The euro, 112. Uh, 112.25 in the Bloomberg. 710 on Wall Street. Time to check in with Michael Barr and get the latest world and national headlines. Michael. Mike, Tom, thank you very much. The very first votes in today's New Hampshire primary come from Dixville. The tiny town's nine voters favored Republican John Kasich 3-2 over Donald Trump. For the Democrats, Bernie Sanders got all four votes over Hillary Clinton. At least nine people are dead after two commuter trains crashed head-on this morning in southern Germany. Another 150 people were injured. Scientists are analyzing a small blue object that fell from the sky to determine if it's a meteorite that caused the death of a man in southern India. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by our 2,400 journalists and more than 150 news bureaus from around the world. I'm Michael Barr. Oh, Michael, we miss Michael McKee so much, didn't we? I mean, Michael Barr, it was just, it wasn't the same here without Michael McKee yesterday. Uh, I, and, and congratulates uh, to the Denver Broncos <laughs> okay. band. Let's punish McKee. Hit it, Ken. <laughs> Thank you.
Bloomberg Surveillance from New York. Bloomberg Surveillance is brought to you by New York Community Bank and New York Commercial Bank, the NYCB family of banks. Bank with confidence anywhere you see the NYCB logo throughout the New York metro. Visit nycbfamily.com. Global business news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app. And on your radio, this is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. This update's brought to you by National Realty. 30% returns on cash and rented real estate. Find them at NRIA.net. And European stocks resuming losses, falling for a seventh day as banks and mining companies lead declines. U.S. stock index futures also lower. We check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg. S&P E-mini futures down 14 points. Dow E-mini futures down 115. NASDAQ E-mini futures down 26. The DAX in Germany is down 1.5%. Ten-year Treasury down 132nd. They yield 1.75%. NYMEX crude oil is up 1.1% or 33 cents to $30.02 a barrel. Comex Gold is down four tenths percent or five dollars thirty cents to eleven ninety two sixty an ounce. The euro a dollar twelve twenty two, the yen one fifteen even. And Coca Cola reported profit that beat analyst estimates while Viacom and CVS Health met. That's a Bloomberg business flash. Tom and Mike. Karen, thank you very much. We were talking with Eric Lee about oil in our last segment. That's been the boogeyman for investors through much of the year so far, but this week, at least starting yesterday and into today, it's financials, Deutsche Bank. How reassuring investors it has the money to pay its bills. And you know, Tom, the old saying, if you have to tell people you have the money, uh, you They're have, shocking you have headlines. I, yeah. mean, I mean, any way you put it, and folks, we're not going to get into hysteria here, but uh, boy, I'll tell you, you see it coming across a Bloomberg. I should get my phone and take a photo <laughs> of those headlines and put it out on Twitter. Mike, jump in here. Andrew Milligan is head of global strategy for Standard Life Investment. He joins us now from Edinburgh. Um, Andrew, when you from from your perch, when you look over the European banking system, when you look over the uh, global economic outlook, uh, how realistic are fears that Deutsche could stumble, that the banking system is in real trouble? Uh, is the sell-off that we're seeing reflecting actual risk or perceived uh, risk, uh, herd mentality? Well, I think we've got to have a little bit of perspective here. I mean, what have central banks and regulators been doing for the last seven or eight years but putting in place a whole series of measures to make sure that the global banking system is far, far, far away from the problems that we had back in 2007-8? Now, undoubtedly, there are risks from... You were just talking about the fall in oil prices, knock-on risks for the energy sector, for example. And there is a major debate uh, raging across the investing community about whether or not the U.S. economy is about to go into recession or not. And, of course, that would be have implications for non-performing loans and such like. But I think as, as well as trying to piece together stories about why events are happening, you know, we do have to step back and say there does seem to be a degree of forced selling taking place in markets at present. I would certainly point my finger at some... Uh, sovereign wealth funds with oil exposure who are probably trying to raise assets as quickly as they can. You're the second person this morning to mention this. Forced selling to me tells me you can't find the bid. This is what you do best, Andrew. You're in Edinburgh, a sconce running quiet, long-term money. Can you find a bid out there this morning on your Bloomberg? I I would absolutely accept the fact that market liquidity has been uh, weak 
uh, for some months now, and obviously into January and February that is becoming more difficult. Uh, but again, we have to go back. For example, European insurance companies have been uh, under the cosh in the last couple of days uh, because of worries about the size of their credit books. But of course, their credit books are largely held to maturity. This is, these are not trading organisations. Um, they, they obviously are holding credit for matching annuities or, or other products. So I think, do not get me wrong, of course there are major concerns and debates at present about the state of the world economy and whether there are knock-on effects from the market stress we've seen in January and into February and whether that <coughs> actually does cause right. a, a, globe out, a global downturn to take place. As of present today, at our morning meeting, immediately after discussing Deutsche Bank, we talked about the very good car sales in January. And, of course, at Monday, we talked about the very good mm -hmm. um, employment figures for mm -hmm. the United States. This dichotomy between what's happening in financial markets and the uh, right. degree of concern about what's happening in the real economy is extremely mm -hmm. marked at present. Uh, Michael, uh, the bonds do okay right now. The yen's through 115, 114.99, and West Texas just broke through 30 again. 2990 yeah. just to bring that up to date Michael there is a, a, a very uh, nasty uh, confluence of events taking place between uh, currency and oil which I think is, is more the cause of what we've been seeing in recent weeks and uh, absolutely people are asking questions now about European financials uh, but I think there's deeper questions still about whether or not what we're seeing in various markets is uh, supply-demand imbalances, balance sheet pressures, or the $64 trillion question, um, is the U.S. economy about to go into recession? Well, I noted this morning that earnings in the United States, S&P 500 earnings, down 4.7% so far for the fourth quarter. But if you take out oil, they're up 2%. If you, take, if you take out energy, and you're talking about your morning meeting and how you're talking about uh, the dichotomy between what's happening in financial markets <coughs> and what's happening in the real world, and you're sort of the second person today to say, we at the investment house aren't worried, we're not under the desk, but our customers are, and I'm wondering why that is. I, well, I wouldn't say that our customers uh, are, are under their desks at all. I mean, we, we have been putting out reports all during the course of last year warning about the difficulties facing the world economy, the slowdown in, in U.S. Uh, profits growth, the need to take a more cautious stance, and this is a world of low numbers. Putting aside the, the difficulties of the last six weeks or so, this was always going to be a year where if you made small returns in any asset class, uh, that was likely to, to be the best that you could get. So I think a lot of this is actually about expectations. Uh, uh, and, and uh, making sure that clients are, as ever, well diversified and, and well prepared rather than being hit by unexpected shocks. Well, uh, one last thought. Um, you're neutral on risk going forward. When do we pull out of this, uh, this, this negative worldview? I think, uh, I think we, we probably do need to see further moves in the dollar. Um, I was, uh, hopeful that uh, the People's Bank of China efforts to stabilize the currency, uh, Chinese New Year might act as a circuit breaker. That doesn't seem to have happened. Um, I was hopeful that some of the early signs that actually mm -hmm. oil supply demand was beginning to be balanced <coughs> would help break uh, this, this nexus of events. 
Um, I think we probably are moving on to the stage now where this topping out process in the U.S. dollar um, has to uh, start okay. uh, to, to, to see a lower currency. Yeah. That, I think, would then start to relieve a lot of the pressures that are out there. Andrew Milligan, thank you so much for standing life Edinburgh, Scotland, uh, giving us perspective uh, on a, a longer-term perspective. Here's your perspective. Futures, negative 14. It's Bloomberg Surveillance. Bloomberg Surveillance brought to you by Benzel Bush Motor Car in Englewood, New Jersey, offering a commitment to service, luxury, and value with total transparency from America's premier automotive dealership. Define the way you drive at BenzelBush.com. Broadcasting live to New York, Bloomberg 1130, to Washington, D.C., Bloomberg 991, to Boston, Bloomberg 1200, to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960, to the country, Sirius XM Channel 119, and around the globe, the Bloomberg Radio Plus app at Bloomberg.com. This is Bloomberg Surveillance. Good morning at 730 on Wall Street. I'm Michael McKee, along with Tom Keen. Here are some of the company news that we are following this morning. Everybody with their eyes on Deutsche Bank. A memo out from Co-Chief Executive Officer John Cryan this morning saying Deutsche Bank is absolutely rock solid. He told employees he isn't concerned about their ability to meet legal costs. They will have to add to their provisions for legal this year, but have already accounted for it in its financial planning. Deutsche Bank shares off 1.8% in European trading. Coca-Cola posting fourth quarter profit beating analyst estimates. Cost-cutting programs helped improve margins, earnings 38 cents a share, penny better than the 37 cent analyst estimate net revenue of 10 billion dollars better than the 9.89 billion consensus forecast and cable tv programmer viacom reporting lower fiscal first quarter sales and profit profit fell nine percent to a dollar 18 a share that matches analyst estimates sales fell six percent to 3.15 billion the projection was for 3.27 billion Time now to check in with Michael Barr and get the latest world and national headlines. Michael. Mike, thank you very much. New Hampshire voters will head to the polls today to vote in the presidential primary. Three tiny villages in the state already have voted, including Dixville, where there are nine registered voters. For the Republicans, John Kasich got three and Donald Trump got two. Bernie Sanders got all four Democratic votes. His rival, Hillary Clinton, campaigned in Hudson, New Hampshire, along with her husband, former President Bill Clinton, last night. If you really want an America for everyone, economically, socially, politically, if you want a security policy that keeps us safe and tries to build a world with more friends and fewer enemies, you only have one choice. President Obama will unveil his eighth and final budget today. It is a $4 trillion-plus proposal that calls for a $10 per barrel tax hike on oil and is also likely to increase taxes on the wealthy and corporations. Authorities in Germany say at least nine people were killed after a head-on collision between two trains. The trains crashed this morning in a remote area of Bavaria. About 150 others were hurt. Global News 24 hours a day, powered by our 2,400 journalists and more than 150 news bureaus from around the world. I'm Michael Barr. Mike? Time now for the Bloomberg NBC Sports Update with John Stashow. John? All right, Mike. Despite no previous coaching experience, the Knicks and Phil Jackson gave Derek Fisher a four-year, $20 million contract. Now he's gone before the All-Star break of his second season. The Knicks were a 500 team, but they've dropped 
9 of 10, and Jackson made the move, promoting assistant Kurt Rambis, who will finish out the season. His first game is tonight at the Garden against Washington. The Barclays Center last night, Nets and Nuggets to the wire. Brown will inbound on the front court. Nets down two. 1.3 left. Up top, Joe Johnson. Off balance, three. Breaks it in. Nets win. Whoa, Joe Johnson at the horn. 105-104, the final. On Nets Radio, Thaddeus, Thaddeus Young, 20 points at the Garden. Rangers top the Devils 2-1. They've got their first three-game win streak since November. Another loss for St. John's. That's 15 in a row since mid-December, beaten by Georgetown 92-67. The Bloomberg NBC Sports Update. I'm John Stashauer. Thank you, John. We're uh, watching the bond market after Japanese yields turned negative all across the curve. Their 10-year note yielding negative four basis points. Here in the U.S., we're seeing a drop in yields. 10-year yield now 1.73%. The five-year at 1.15%. And the two-year at 65 basis points. This is Bloomberg Surveillance on Bloomberg Radio Worldwide. This is Bloomberg Surveillance. I'm Michael McKee, along with Tom Keene. We're keeping an eye on volatile markets. Right now, S&P futures down by 16 points. Dow futures down 133. NASDAQ futures are off by 26. They continue to deteriorate throughout the morning. Time for the Bloomberg NJIT STEM report, brought to you by New Jersey Institute of Technology, partnering with government and industry to to apply the university's world-class research assets to innovate and spur economic growth. Learn more at njit.edu. Here's John Tucker. Well, Michael, multiple sclerosis patients may one day have the option of having an intelligent camera system track the disease's progress using super-precise measurements of physical symptoms to enable better, faster, and cheaper treatments. Microsoft researchers have teamed up with pharma giant Novartis to develop a system called AccessMS, which uses the company's Connect motion camera and machine learning software to track movements, analyzing things like gait and ability to touch one's nose with a finger. In recent weeks, speculation has mounted that Amazon.com plans to launch a global shipping and logistics operation that will compete with United Parcel Service and Federal Express. Asked about the reports that the company was leasing planes and had registered an ocean freight booking business, the chief financial officer downplayed Amazon's ambitions last month in an earnings call. He said the company was simply looking to supplement its delivery partners. But Amazon documents reviewed by Bloomberg News reveal a far bolder plan. A report to Amazon's senior management team proposed an aggressive global expansion of the company's fulfillment by Amazon service. And that is this morning's Bloomberg NJIT STEM report. Mike. Thank you very much, John. Well, the concern of the day for the last uh, two days, rather, we should say, has been Deutsche Bank and whether or not it has credit problems. The concerns center around convertible uh, bonds uh, called COCOs. Uh, Bloomberg strategist, uh, credit risk strategist Simon Ballard joins us now from London to help put this all in perspective. And Simon, uh, first, if you could, in <laughs> put COCOs into plain language so people can understand what we're talking about. Okay, so a contingent convertible bond or a COCO. Uh, we don't have uh, we don't have a good uh, audio line there. We'll we'll fix that with for Simon. 
and uh, tell you that right now the stock 600 is down 5.1.6%, led by financials, the whole Deutsche Bank issue. Uh, financials in Europe right now down by 2.8%. The DAX is off 120 points, 1.3%. The CAC 40 is off by 90, 2.2%. And the FTSE in London down by 48. That's nine-tenths of a percent. And as we noted, this has been deteriorating all day, the futures outlook in the U.S. and stocks in Europe. The decline began in Japan with the Nikkei down 5.4% after the 10-year note yield there went negative. And the whole curve, first for a G7 country, went negative. The 10-year note yield in Japan now negative four basis points. China, Hong Kong, uh, Korea all closed for the New Year holiday in Asia, so uh, they're not behind any of this. The yen on the back of what happened in the yield markets there, 114.21, uh, right? Uh, it, it reached as low as 114.21, which is a 2014 price. Uh, right now, 115.01. Now let's check in with Patrice Sakora and get the Bloomberg Green Report. What is Lunar New Year without fireworks? A lot quieter. And a big reason is pollution. Plagued by a worsening smog problem, local governments throughout China are cracking down on firecrackers of all shapes and sizes. Zhengzhou is one of five provincial capitals that have banned fireworks altogether. Shanghai is also banning them in the city center. In Beijing, firework sales are down by half this year after already falling 30% last year. Winter smog is common in that city, and the government has blanketed the streets with signs urging moderation in the use of the explosives for pollution and public safety. The subway system features posters with a teddy bear wearing a gas mask, a string of firecrackers dangling from a paw. Fireworks makers are also trying to develop alternative products made with new chemicals that make them more environmentally friendly. Even the biggest fireworks maker in Beijing, Panda, still needs to make changes in the face of decreasing market demand. It now prioritizes small and medium-sized products that are cheaper. And that's a Bloomberg Green Business Report. I'm Patrice Sikora. Thank you, Patrice. Italy's finance minister says the expected decline of that country's public debt this year will mark a turnaround for the euro region's third biggest economy, and that will change financial markets' skeptical view of the country. Given real growth and possibly given a bit more inflation that's beyond our control, of course, we will see dynamics of the debt accelerating downwards, and this will change the perception of the markets. That was Pierre Carlo Padawan speaking in an exclusive interview with Bloomberg News Editor-in-Chief John Micklethwaite. Well, markets uh, across Europe are lower right now, including in Italy. We're looking at the FTSE MIB uh, down uh, on the day at 16.021. And we're also looking at uh, the German DAX down right now, 118 points. That's 1.3%. S&P futures continue to deteriorate off 16 points, eight-tenths of a percent, an eight-tenths drop for Dow futures. They're down 127. NASDAQ futures down 27, seven-tenths of a percent. One of the issues seems to be whether investors can get used to the idea that central banks may not be able to pull their irons out of the fire anymore. Coming up at the top of the hour, Mohamed Al-Aryan in his new book, The Only game in town, central bank's instability and avoiding the next collapse. Tom Keene and I will ask him about this idea that central banks have reached the limit of their power. Dr. L. Arian suggesting it is time for the fiscal authorities to get involved. 
Gold price is $1,194.90, down $3. That breaks a week-long winning streak for gold, at least so far. Copper price is $204.40, down 2.2%. This is Bloomberg Surveillance. Bloomberg Surveillance is brought to you by Flushing Bank. Open a complete business checking account with $15,000 or more and get a free 16-gig Wi-Fi tablet. Visit FlushingBank.com for details. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. Global Business News, 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. This update is brought to you by CBOE VIX Options and Futures. Volatility can be harnessed with CBOE VIX Options and Futures. See disclosures and learn more at CBOE.com slash Powerful Outcomes VIX. And futures are lower with S&P E-mini futures down 18 points, Dow E-mini futures down 154, and NASDAQ E-mini futures down 38. DAX in Germany is down 1.9%. Ten-year Treasury up 9.30 seconds, the yield 1.71%. NYMEX crude oil up a tenth of a percent or three cents to 29.73 a barrel. COMEX gold down a tenth of a percent or $1.80 to 11.96.20 an ounce. And that's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Tom and Mike. Thank you, Karen. Well, we have fixed our line between here and London. It's amazing, Tom, the technology that we have these days. We can talk to London live. We can talk to Simon Ballard. He is a credit risk analyst for Bloomberg in London. And the thing that everybody has been worried about the last 48 hours, Simon, is Deutsche Bank and its ability to make coupon payments on contingent convertibles, popularly known as COCOs. For our audience, can you explain what a COCO is and why we should be concerned? Okay, um, very interesting question, very relevant question. The COCO, the uh, contingent convertible bond, is uh, like, a, like a regular convertible bond that will convert from a bond to equity at a time of stress. Um, but this bond, the COCO, is contingent on a specified event, such as the stock price of the company exceeding a particular level for a certain period of time. Um, so obviously when the, when the stock price uh, sells off during uh, during weak periods then you can convert the bond through to uh, through to equity um the, the idea is that the regulators hope that this then helps to buttress the, the bank's finances um, in times of stress. So in actual fact, if you look at it from a, a, a certain perspective, the COCO, the COCO bond, the contingent uh, convertible bond, is designed to fail at the end of the day without triggering a default of the bank itself. So it's seen as a, it's a, it's a buffer for the, for the balance sheet of the, uh, of the financial institution itself um, to convert right. bonds through to equities at a, given, at a contingent price. They do it in Europe. They don't do it here. Why did Americans and say, no, we're not going to do Cocoa Puffs. I guess it was the uh, the, uh, the the development from the from the ECB, the financial uh, the financial markets over here in Europe that were trying to sort of extend the envelope, if you wish, in terms of uh, you know balance sheet repair and at the same time um, offering investors you know a yield enhancing asset. Um, and therein uh, I think lies the problem. It's not so much with Deutsche Bank itself over the last 24 hours, right. but it's the it's the questions that have been raised now as far as you know the extent of the the risk that's embedded into these uh, contingent convertible bonds that investors haven't necessarily been fully cognizant of as they've been sort of, you know, complacently almost buying into, right. into yield in, in a ZERP world, in the zero interest rate policy world. Within the world that Mr. Cryan's living in, does he control the decision tree on cocoa derivative securities or are there people telling him what to do given certain triggers or mechanisms? 
given given certain triggers or mechanisms, I think the market will be in charge of the uh, you know the contingent convertible market. Uh, Mr. Cryan can uh, can uh, can assure us uh, that their solvency is adequate to make their uh, coupon payments, and uh, that indeed has uh, has relieved the markets this morning. We've uh, we've uh, we've improved from the uh, from the recent volatility. Okay, we're off the uh, the early morning tights that we hit here in Europe. Um, but uh, nevertheless, it's, uh, it, right. the, the market pricing will, will dictate what it feels is the, is the embedded risk in these products. Simon Ballard, thank you so much. Folks, read Simon Ballard, Bloomberg First Word and Bloomberg Intelligence today on derivative instruments. Uh, Mike, New Hampshire's not derivative, is it? Uh, well, it may be. That's the issue here is uh, does New Hampshire set us on a different course or not? Chuck Todd is the host of NBC's Meet the Press, which you can hear here on Bloomberg Radio 11 and 3 on Sundays. And, Chuck, um, this seems to be sort of a replay of last week, except there are more moderates in the middle, which may leave us with more of a muddle when it's over. I think it is going to be. That's possible. I mean, if we're – but I kind of think we are focusing too much on who's going to finish second and not enough on who's looking like they're finishing first. I mean, I think that in this case where it's not like Iowa's, we have polls showing both Sanders and Trump with double-digit leads. Let's think about this. And six months ago, and we had a conversation that said, you know who's going to win the New Hampshire primary on each side of the aisle? It's going to be Trump and Sanders. You guys would have said I was nuts. I mean, this is a, this is a big deal uh, if the two of them, because what New Hampshire is doing and is reflecting the same you know, uncertainty we've seen in the country, anger in the country, and they're basically saying, yeah, we agree, let's upend both political parties. And it's a remarkable result if indeed the polls are uh, are correct when it comes to who's going to win. Again, I know second place, third place, we're all trying to figure that out, but let's not ignore who's going to be at the top. Well, let's take it party by party. On the Republican side, the last time New Hampshireites were mad as hell and not going to take it anymore, they voted for Pat Buchanan, who was then Mm -hmm. never heard from again. Uh, Do we think that Donald Trump is different than Pat Buchanan? Well, uh, in some ways, uh, he's he's very similar to Buchanan. Uh, It's the same frustration. He is sort of representing this working class wing of the Republican Party, and Buchanan was the first Republican to acknowledge the existence of this voter uh, and to tap into that voter sentiment, and then it was ignored for a while. So on one hand, it is similar. Where it's different is that, you know, Buchanan didn't have any resources. Buchanan was a one-state guy. He just came up here to win it. Trump's different, right? Trump's a national figure. Trump has got money, if he chooses to spend it, to be a big-deal candidacy. And right. look, he's, he's turned into a different candidate. So I, I wouldn't – I think, look – he may not be the nominee, but let's not let's also not dismiss the fact that he may find, win his first presidential primary. That's not uh, a small thing. Chuck, what is Karl Rove watching for in New Hampshire today? If he is the machinist of the Republican establishment, what are people like Mr. Rove attempting to observe? Well, I think they want to see which one of the four guys, Kasich, Jeff, Christie, or Rubio, pops. Um, you know, he's an establishment kind of guy, and he wants, he thinks that, you know, the, the party should find the most electable conservative, not the most conservative, not the loudest conservative, not the biggest populist, but the most electable. And so in his mind, he's looking for the, let's see if particularly Bush or, or Kasich, who both seem to be the, the two candidates on the move here in these last 24 hours, 
if one of them is, is second, do they are they built to last? Can you build a national campaign after you leave New Hampshire after the after the tumultuous six months that they've been through dealing with Trump and all of that stuff? So, look, I think that's what he's looking for is which one of those four shows a sign of life tonight. Well, does do I mean, this is the reason I'm focused on who finishes second? Does anybody break out enough that others drop out of the race? Boy, not after I, I would have said if you'd asked me that Friday, I would have said yes. But after the Rubio debacle on Saturday, I think the message that all of these candidates got is, boy, it isn't, I'm not getting out yet. This thing's too uncertain. Rubio was on the verge of, I think, becoming that guy and uniting the party. He had the nomination in his hand. Had that, had his debate performance been as good as it was bad, we would be talking about three guys getting out tonight or tomorrow morning. Instead, they're all sticking. Okay. Everybody's sticking. And I think that that, that's the message of Saturday night. The only guy I can see not making it to South Carolina is Christie if he ends up finishing sixth because he does have a financial issue. I, I understand it's a time of offense and taking risks, but who's being the Denver Broncos, Chuck? I mean, I don't know if you're aware, but Michael McKee's team made it <laughs> and went all the way, and McKee's been playing cold play all morning for some reason. Chuck, can you explain <laughs> to me who in this process – is being Denver trying not to make mistakes. I don't see it. It's almost helter-skelter, isn't it? Well, it is a little bit. I mean, I guess if you look at it, you know, to make the Super Bowl comparison, who's who's going to play the role of the Carolina Panthers, which is not to bother to put together a game plan? Well, that would be your Donald Trump, right? Uh, you know, the Carolina should have won, but they didn't. Apparently, they decided not to watch film. Uh <laughs> Denver being, you know, blocking and tackling, being prepared, doing what they know how to do. Who is that? I think it's John Kasich. I think it's John Kasich. He's a guy that's run his own race the whole time. He's not let himself be impacted by the national poll, not let himself be distracted by Donald Trump's shenanigans, has stayed out of the fight on the debate stage. He never goes after others. So in this case, if you look at it that way, where Denver was, you know, methodical in what their game plan was, methodical in the type of you know, they put together an offense yeah. that even Peyton Manning could accomplish, right? You know, short passes, don't make mistakes. That's John Kasich. Um, Kasich, Von Miller uh, ticket, I guess, in uh, 2016. There you go. <laughs> uh, we only have a minute left, so very quickly, Chuck. Uh, we haven't talked about the Democrats, but a lot of people looking past New Hampshire because this is the backyard of Bernie Sanders. I think that's uh, naive. I think if Bernie Sanders is winning by double digits, this is a state that has uh, been good to the Clintons. Bernie Sanders winning by double digits, I think, means that the Clinton campaign is going to have a rough three or four weeks. You're going to have national polls showing this race dead even. You're going to have the fact that Sanders is outraised during January. He might raise $50 million in February. Um, Nevada is a jump ball. He wins Nevada, and all of a sudden you've got a guy who's basically won Nevada, won New Hampshire, and came within a whisker of winning Iowa, staying into South Carolina. I think it upends this race in a way that we haven't really fully appreciated. And I'll go back to something. Sanders wins big tonight. The guy whose name is on this radio uh, station is going to see his name oh. talked about more and more and more. I know so I think we'll, a little uncomfortable. We'll talk, we'll, well, we'll talk to Chuck Todd about that next time. Yeah, that's, Chuck Todd, thank you so much. With me, the, Chuck Todd, go away. With me, the press and, uh, on NBC, <laughs> yeah. of course. Uh, do we, the disclaimer, Todd. Please, Mike, I insist. <laughs> he is talking about the founder and majority owner of Bloomberg LP, the parent of this radio station. Got through that. <laughs>